Moncrief on News Talk. There are bodies in Mountjoy Prison. Between 1923 and 1954, 28 men and one woman were executed and buried there. Now they're going to be exhumed, but there may be even more bodies than that. Tim Carey is a historian and the author of Hanged for Murder, Irish State Executions. Good afternoon, Tim. Good afternoon. Uh, now, I suppose would, would the, the fact that these exhumations are going to take place, has this been prompted by the Harry Gleeson case? Yes, I think that there's a very clear kind of line of thinking from the Harry Gleeson case. Um, as people may be aware, Harry Gleeson was convicted and very wrongfully convicted of murder in Tipperary in the 1940s. And after many years of campaigning by family, friends and other people, uh, he was finally given a kind of a posthumous pardon. Um, and I suppose when you posthumously pardon someone, the idea of keeping them within the grounds of the prison becomes very problematic. So I think, yes, this, the Gleeson case was key to this. Mm. And uh, tell us something about some of the other residents, for want of a better word there. <laughs> uh, most of the people who were executed and, and buried there, was it always for murder? Yeah, always for murder, yeah. Um, and so there's... 29 um, between 1923 and 1954. The last was Michael Manning from Limerick, who randomly attacked a nurse, a 64-year-old nurse, and uh, murdered her on her way home. He became the last person to be executed in Ireland. Um, the, I mean, the cases run from the very banal to the really extraordinary, one of the most extraordinary people who's buried there is a man, well, I, I call him James Herbert Lehman, but mm. we really don't know what his name was. Um, he had at least, I think, a dozen aliases. He was alleged to have been born in, I think, at least seven different places. Um, funnily enough, subsequent, not funnily enough, but strangely enough, subsequent to the publication of the book, um, which was about 10 years ago, two of his children contacted me. Mm. Uh, one one in Ireland and one from another country um, and neither of them really knew his full story um, and knew in some ways less about him than I did. Uh, so very strange individual, killed his his wife while she was pre- eight months pregnant with their third child. Uh, very much, I think, a kind of a sociopath who lived this uh, very sort of duplicitous lives uh, in various parts of Canada, America, Britain and Ireland um, and a very strange individual. Yeah. Uh, so I don't even, don't even know if that's his proper name at this point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he was, when he was, at least when he was mar- married to uh, Peg, the woman he killed, wasn't he having an affair with a woman up the street as well at the same time? He was, yeah. He was living this double life, you know, between Rathmines and in, in the and Rathgar. Um, and she knew nothing about his wife. Um, his wife knew nothing about her. Um, kept this sort of relationship going. Eventually, uh, this woman um, that he was having an affair with copped on to what was going on and said she didn't want to see him again. Um, but, you know, extraordinary life. Not the only one who lived this uh, double life. A guy called John Fleming. Another Dublin case, and that's two Dublin cases, but really most of the cases took place outside of Dublin. Only four of the 29 were actually murders committed in Dublin. Mm. But there was a guy, uh, John Fleming, in 1931, he murdered his wife um, so that he could marry another woman that he had been seen for about a year um, and she was living in Stony Batter and he was living in Drumcondra and he lived this double life on Dublin's north side for a year um, married to one woman and living as if going out with another woman uh, about a mile and a half away. Okay, and the uh, the only woman who's buried there, similar kind of story? Annie Walsh, yeah. I mean, all, what's interesting, uh, one of the interesting things is 
nearly all of the people of, of the 29 knew their victim. These weren't kind of generally random killings. They, mm. were, they were very personal, like there were relations, they were loved ones, they were brothers, they were, you know, there, there was a very strong connection. And the Annie Walsh case, um, she murdered her husband with the assistance of her husband's nephew, whom she promised that she would run away with after they had murdered her husband. And then they murdered her husband. And then Annie Walsh tried to pin the pin the murder on Michael, the, the nephew, and ended up that both of them were executed in Mountjoy Prison. Oh, gosh. Any particular reason why most of the murders took place outside Dublin was, you know, outside Dublin, particularly murderers at the time? <laughs> well, I think you kind of have to look a little bit at um, sort of the, the the culture of the time. It was after World War One, after the War of Independence, after the Civil War. There was a culture of violence. Um, you know, it was the, a kind of an accepted level of violence that was in society. Uh, rural Ireland was still quite unsettled following the War of Independence and the Civil War. And there is an argument that the state was really just trying to exert some social order and, and clamping down on anything that was going to upset that. So by far, you know, there's three decades of capital punishment in Ireland and by far the most, um, I suppose, the busiest was the first from 1923 to 1933. And then the last decade, just four, I think four people were executed. So Society had calmed down mm-hmm. um, and, and things had settled. But, you know, whereas murder now is, I suppose, you know, say gangland murders and all that sort of thing, it's quite a different uh, type of murder that's uh, that's often taking place um, and often in, in urban areas. But it was, it was the opposite up until uh, the 50s. Yeah, because I suppose at the foundation of the state, the intention at least was that there wouldn't be capital punishment. But they're, they're, obviously they at the time it was felt there was a need for it just to calm things down a bit. Yeah, there was. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there was a kind of feeling that, you know, when we became independent, that we wouldn't no longer bring British hangmen over to hang Irish people. You know, obviously execution had a very political overtone Mm. in Ireland uh, with 1916 and the War of Independence executions. Uh, But because of that sort of disturbed state of society, they just felt, oh, we'll keep it on the books. And in a way, they kept it on the books for political reasons, um, you know, so that they could be sure to, you know, have capital punish at their disposal for, you know, Republicans who are maybe trying to overthrow the state or whatever. But in actual fact, all Republicans were executed under emergency legislation. None of them were executed under the, sort of the Capital Punishments Acts. So it was it, it was a bit strange the way that it all worked out. Yeah. Um, and and those people buried in Mount Joy who were executed were they executed? Pierpoint was that what his name? The the, the yeah, there was the, two Pierpoints yeah, actually. Yeah, Tom Tom and Albert. Uh, um, so it would have been the Pierpoints, and there was this whole thing about you know British hangmen coming over to hang Irish people, and there was a there was a short period when Ireland actually tried to get their own hangman, um, and it was actually a man from Cork called James O'Sullivan, um, and he was trained to be a hangman, but. Um, for want of a better term, he kind of bottled it uh, on one occasion <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Pierpoint took over and O'Sullivan was never seen again. OK, well, that's kind of understandable. Now, the, 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 I suppose, intriguing or gruesomely intriguing, there may be more bodies there because... Yeah, there's definitely more than the 29. Um, there's at least two more. Um, there's a guy called uh, Tool who was executed in 1901 Um now, no one knows where he's buried. Then there's a black and tan actually called Mitchell, who was executed during the War of Independence for the a murder of a 
someone in Dunlavin in County Wicklow. Now, they know where he's buried because the British left a map of of where they executed people during the Civil War, which was very helpful when the 10 Republicans were disinterred about 20 years ago. Um, And then, you know, there's there's a potential... In the history of the prison, there's a number of prisoners who died. It's not recorded where they went to. Um, now, there weren't a lot of them, but in the early years of the prison, sort of uh, 1850s, 1860s, there were a number of deaths. Now, I've checked Grange Gorman. There's nothing there. They may have been taken out of the prison, but they may have been interred within the grounds of the prison. Um, so that's not, it's not, it's not fully known. Um, but there's certainly two who are, in addition to the 29, who are in the grounds of the prison somewhere. Yeah. Will it be relatively easy to identify who's who? Um, not being an expert, but I would imagine, no, I don't think it would ah. be, um, because you, you've no map. I mean, most of them, the vast majority, and I think they probably think 20, at least 26 or 27, are buried in the one yard around by the back of the prison. Um, but, you know, where they're buried, who's buried with who, were they buried in any particular order? I think it's, it, it'd be difficult. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be impossible, but it would be difficult. And DNA testing, you know, is obviously mm. a, a, a way of doing it. But, you know, and I, I presume that the remains, not to be too gruesome about it, but assume that the remains are, you know, f- in terms of skeletal remains, probably fairly intact. Um, so there may be ways of identifying people um, uh, through, the, through that manner. But yeah, uh, yeah it's not going to be easy, I wouldn't think. Yeah, and also as well, uh, um, if they exhume all the bodies, is it apparent where, where presumably uh, Harry Gleeson would have family who, 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 who would uh, um, take possession there? But in all cases, that might necessarily be the case. It might not, it, yeah, it mightn't necessarily be the case, yeah. And I think uh, Gleason probably, their, their family probably would like to um, uh, have access to the body. Um, but the others, yeah, I don't know. So whether the plan is to bury them in, in one grave, perhaps in, in Glasnevin or something, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but it is, you know, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a complicated procedure, I'd say. I'd say it's going to get particularly complicated if they find James Herbert Lehman's body because uh, you might have uh, multiple people uh, claiming that one uh, <laughs> yeah, under yeah. different names as well. Uh, yeah. Tim, fascinating story. Thank you so much for uh, speaking with us today. Uh, that was uh, Tim Carey there, obviously an historian and uh, uh, the author of uh, that book, Hanged for Murder, Irish State Executions. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.